0: This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Uh, So this morning, uh, we are beginning or continuing, we're beginning to wrap up a sermon series that we have uh, been engaging with over the last five weeks called Explore God. Uh, This morning, we're asking a fundamental question of Christianity. uh, One that I think is important, I know is important for us as we uh, ask what this relationship means for us, and that is simply this. It's, can I know God personally can I know God uh, personally and it really is as Caroline mentioned all about this relationship uh, between God and humanity and we're doing that this morning with over 50 churches as we've shared throughout this sermon series uh, we have been connected with about 50 other churches in the triangle uh, over the last five weeks uh, engaging in these conversations and we'll see about 10 of them this morning on your screens uh, two different slides and what I would invite you to be doing as we have every week is to continue to pray uh, for those churches this morning uh, pray for those people hearing these messages. Pray for the ways that God might be moving in our community. Uh, perhaps you know some folks that are there, uh, neighbors, coworkers, friends uh, that attend some of these churches, and, and I hope this will be a conversation that doesn't stop here this morning, uh, but continues uh, throughout our relationships and throughout, uh, throughout this week. But we're coming to this core question, and, and this question of can I know God personally really is about uh, this relationship between God and humanity. It's something that when I teach our preschoolers about scripture, and I have the privilege to do that about once a month, we have preschool chapel every week uh, with our preschool students here uh, through, who gather throughout the week, and I ask them a simple question. I say, you know, what is this? And they all yell out, the Bible. It's really cute. I, I didn't ask y'all that. I should ask y'all too. What is this? They are way more confident than y'all are, just to be, just to be clear. And then I say this, and I'm going to ask y'all this question. Who do we learn about in the Bible? Oh, see, we, 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 should, we should start with y'all the same way every morning. We learn about God. We learn about Jesus. And then I say, what do we learn about God and Jesus? And, and I have them respond where they say, we learn that God loves me. And they take their faith and they go, God loves me. And I say, we learn that God loves you. And they say, God loves you. And normally, we're having this preschool chapel downstairs uh, where our staff devotionals are happening upstairs. And I have them point at the ceiling and yell as loud as they can. I say, Pastor Tim has friends right upstairs. I want you to yell as loud as you can and say God loves you and they do they look up they point to the ceiling and they scream God loves you and I tell our staff uh, as pastors we have a goal to see if we can disrupt each other in that moment but that's a different a different thing uh, but we in that moment are reminding our preschoolers uh, that this is God's Word it is the Bible and in the core of God's Word from the very beginning uh, to the very end is about this relationship between God and humanity. Uh, that God loves us, that God loves this world, and that we get to participate uh, in this love. And so this morning, uh, we're gonna begin really by looking at that whole story across scriptures. So we're gonna look at the beginning, uh, we're gonna look at the end, uh, and then we're gonna look at the middle, and what it means for us today uh, to answer that question well, about what it means to be in this personal relationship, and this relationship between God and human beings that we get the privilege uh, to be a part of. Uh, so as a, if you do fall asleep, as Pam Keenan suggested, is pastors like that, the, the short answer is yes. You can have a personal relationship with God. So if you miss the rest of the sermon, at least you've got that this morning. So we'll kind of go from there. Uh, this morning, we're going to begin with Genesis chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles with you or want to open with a pew Bible with me this morning, we're going to go to the very beginning. Uh, Genesis 1, uh, beginning with verse uh, 26. And this is what is written about God's relationship with humanity from the very beginning of time. On the the sixth day, it said, God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created humankind in God's image. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So from the very beginning, we see several things happening in the creation of humankind. A God creates humankind in God's image. It's The, the word we use in Latin there is the imago dei. The Imago Dei is the image of God. It's this imprint of God's image on ourselves, on our souls, where we are created in God's likeness to be like God, to be a people who are like God. God is claiming us as God's children, as part of God's family. If you continue into Genesis 2, you see uh, this relationship begin to blossom where in the Garden of Eden, in this perfect garden, God walks with and communes with and blesses God's people. Uh, Some call uh, this blessing, where it says God blessed them, the original blessing. Uh, This original blessing of God, where God blesses God's people to multiply and to to bear fruit across the world, And, and you see this perfect relationship in the beginning. We fast forward two chapters, and if you have your Bible, you can flip with me to chapter three. You see in chapter three a change in this relationship. I'm not going to read the story this morning, but it is more familiar to many of us, and is the story of the serpent, where the serpent begins to engage humanity and tempts Adam and Eve to look away from God, to be disobedient to God. In many of our Bibles, the, the subtitle there that you'll see is the first sin and its punishment, and others it will simply say original sin. We begin with original blessing, we move to chapter 3 with original sin, this, and in the original sin, the, the, the result of the choice that humanity makes to choose disobedience to God is a brokenness in that relationship. So even though we were designed for perfect relationship with God, that deviates, that breaks, and from the beginning, we now see two divided paths. One where perfect communion existed, one where we are now divided from God. And the result of that is this increasing divergence over time where we are uh, being sought by God. We'll come back to that later. Being sought by God to bring these paths back uh, together. But the result of sin is sin and death. Disobedience is sin and death. And that's the result in chapter 3. So let's jump to the end. So flip to the, the backs of your Bibles and make your search easy this morning to Revelation chapter 21. So if in the beginning we were created to be blessed by God, to be in relationship with God, sin broke that relationship, and the end, let's look at how that comes back together. This is Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. John is describing how it will be at the end of time, and he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, i write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, It is finished, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who will conquer will inherit these things. And I will be their God, and they Will be my children. Verse 8: But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So in the beginning, we have perfect relationship. In the beginning, we have disobedience that leads to sin and to death, the brokenness of relationship. And then in the end, we see again these two paths we see a path that leads to eternal relationship with God a path that leads to a place where God claims once again that God is our God and we are God's children we are God's family for all eternity and you see also in verse 8 a deviant path a path where sin once again can lead to as John writes the second death or eternal death And often the question that we are asking as a people of this world is we are asking, how can we receive the first promise in Revelation and not the second? How can we stop our reading at verse 7 and not have to go to verse 8? Because ultimately our hope and goal is to be a people who are in a trajectory whereby we are in that eternal relationship with God. That's our hope. That's what we were created for. From the very beginning, we were created to be in God's likeness, in the likeness of God. The Ibago Day, we were created to be in communion with God. So how do we get there? And logically, sometimes, or often, uh, the way that we try to solve verse 8, the way that we try to solve Genesis 3, is that we simply have this equation. Now, I will not get into uh, complete math this morning. This is just an equal sign, so hopefully this is a little simpler than a few weeks ago. Uh, but this is the equation. If we simply can avoid sin, then we get into heaven. If we can avoid sin, we get into heaven. It's clear in verse 8 right there that it says, you know, these are the people who want to get into heaven. He lists sinners, those that are, are broken from God. In the beginning, if they had just simply avoided sin, they would get into heaven. But here's the problem with that equation. And this is the primary passage we're going to be reading from this morning. This is Romans uh, chapter 7. And this comes to the middle. <laughs> so we've gone the beginning, we've done the end, and this is what Paul says about that equation. This is Romans 7, verses 15 through 23. This is what Paul writes. And again, in your, in your Bibles, many of you it will say the inner conflict. <clears throat> I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my own inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And we'll stop right there for a minute. Again, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So here we have Paul. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, the the one who is spreading the gospel across all of the Middle East and into Europe, the one that is teaching it is the reason for much of the expansion of the early church, when Paul asks this question about sin, this is what Paul says. Paul says, I know the right answer. I know what I'm supposed to do. I've, I've read scripture. I know what the teaching is. If I can simply not sin, then I will experience eternal life. I know. I've read it but I can't do it. He said, I've tried. I've dwelled on God's word, I've read God's prayers, and what I know is that every time I do good, evil lies close beside it. And I end up doing the very thing that I don't want to do. Now, I'm not gonna make you raise your hands this morning, but who feels like Paul's words could be your words? Because I I do. There are many times where I feel like Paul could be writing for me. That even though I know the right answer, even though I know how I'm supposed to behave, even though I know the action I'm supposed to take every time, too often I find myself making a different choice. Moving down a different path or or not being able to control the very thing, the behavior uh, that in that equation would lead to eternal life. And so Paul asked this question, In verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul knows, Paul recognizes that Paul himself is not able to fulfill the very thing that he knows would get him into eternal life. And so he begins to look for a savior, a rescuer, one that might create a different way, a different path. I mean, this is the gospel, right? This is what we preach and what we teach. This is what we claim and hold on to. This is the hope that we have in the verse that he says in verse 25 when Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer to that question for Paul, the answer to that question for us, the answer in the middle (laughs) is that the only way that we might be saved from this sin, this slavery to sin and to death, is through Jesus Christ, through this relationship that God has created us to be in. And Paul continues in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, there is therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. See, this is where Paul begins to deviate from that message, where Paul says, I know what the equation says. I know that if we can avoid sin, we get eternal life. And I know that when I've tried that, I've failed. And therefore, we who are Christ's followers, we who are in Christ Jesus have a new way, a new path, a new way by which we might engage with God forever. And this is what Eugene Peterson says. Eugene Peterson says, uh, as paraphr- paraphrase these verses, verses in the message. And I think it's very helpful for me, at least this morning. He says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under, under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. See, for Paul, and for Peterson, and for the early church, the answer was that if we can find ways to be in Christ Jesus, ways to be connected to Jesus, the one who came to live, to die, to be raised again, we might find a new power a new order, by which a new way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, a new way by which we might encounter this eternal life. So what does that mean for us? I mean, that sounds nice. It's something we preach in the church all the time, but how do we actually do that? How do we engage in what we believe is an eternity-altering equation? This is what Jesus says in John chapter 14, beginning with verse 26. Verse 26. Jesus writes, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Another translation is that word advocate there in verse 26 is translated Friend. It says, but the, the friend, the Holy Spirit, now, the one that we're to be friends with, really, discipleship at its core is friendship. It's friendship with God and with each other. It is this friend. We spent five weeks in January talking about how to be friends because friendship is at the core of our ethic. Jesus says, I will know your disciples because you love one another. This is the, the friendship that we're called to. It's the Holy Spirit we're invited to engage. And so, the response that we have to that question, can I know God personally as a response and invitation uh, to engage with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit that God Jesus has left here for us? Uh, Billy Graham uh, tells this story in his book. Uh, it's a book uh, called The Holy Spirit, Activating God's Power in Your Life. And Billy Graham tells a story that's been repeated in many places, many ways, but I want to share it again this morning because I think it helps us understand what this actually looks like. Graham writes this, He said, an Eskimo fisherman came to town every Saturday afternoon, and he always brought his two dogs with him, and he had taught them to fight on command. Every Saturday Saturday afternoon in the town square, the people would gather, and these two dogs would fight, and the fishermen would take bets. And on one Saturday, the one dog would win. On another Saturday, the other dog would win. But the owner always knew who would win. And one day his friends asked him how he did it. His response was, I starved one and feed the other. Uh, The one I feed always wins because he's stronger. (laughs) Billy Graham uses this analogy to begin to talk about these two natures that exist within us. These two paths are the path that leads to sin and death and the path that leads to eternal life. And for Billy Graham, it was how we pay attention to those two natures that ultimately determines who wins. For Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, and I believe this is where Graham got this from, he says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit set the mind on the, on the flesh is death, but, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those are, who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. So the spirit of God dwells in you. See, God's invitation, Paul's invitation, Billy Graham's invitation for us as we answer this question, can I know God personally? He says, this is our response. If the answer is yes, the way that we do this is we find ways to to seek God's Holy Spirit. The way that we avoid sin is not by trying to change our behavior. The way that we avoid sin is by by trying to change our very souls, the very inside of who we are, by reorienting those things to focus on God's Spirit. Uh, John Wesley calls them the means of grace. (laughs) the ways by which we encounter God, and he had lots of ways. We'll list a few this morning, we'll close with this. The first was works of piety, works of, works of holiness. And he had individual practices that we do, things like a reading and meditating and studying on the scriptures, prayer, fasting, regularly attending worship, healthy living and sharing our faith with others. He had communal practices, practices we did together, which are regularly sharing the sacraments, uh, Christian concert conferencing, small group life, being accountable to each other, and Bible study. And then he talked about works of mercy, uh, works of service. And again, he said individual practices like doing good works and visiting the sick, uh, visiting those who are in prison or feeding the hungry, uh, giving generously to, those, uh, to the needs of others. And then once again, together, as we seek justice, uh, we try to end oppression and discrimination and address the needs of of the poor. You know, when we gather every week and I say things like, I'm so thankful to be here, I really mean that. Because it's in this place that we gather together for worship, where we pray together, where we share in the sacraments of communion together, where we fellowship together, where we begin relationships that might hold ourselves accountable. And by, we, by where we begin to live out this faith in new ways, by providing space for those who are homeless by feeding those who are hungry, by, by, by engaging in practices that in and of themselves are holy because they are drawing us to the Holy Spirit. They are drawing us to this friend we have in God. And by orienting our lives that way, to the Holy Spirit, to God revealed to us in Christ Jesus, our lives begin to change. And it might be said of us, that as we leave this place, my hope and prayer always is that as we leave this place, we might look more like Jesus when we leave, like the Imago Dei, the image of God we were created for, than when we came in this morning. May that be said of us today and always. In Christ's name, amen.